The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you are so good, so kind, and so merciful. Your word tells us that your kindness leads us to repentance. And so in this Lenten season, Lord, we offer back to you ourselves, and we I thank you. I just thank you again and again that this study has lined up in this way, that we are studying your passion in Lent as we prepare for resurrection. And so just asking God that you would um, send your spirit upon this teaching time, this learning time, that you would be our teacher, that we would hear the voice of the Good Shepherd, that we would be your sheep and know your voice, Lord God. I thank you for what you endured for us, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, uh, last week we uh, looked at the similarities and the differences between betrayal and denial. We saw uh, Judas bring the mob to the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, We saw Peter deny Jesus three times. And in the middle of that was... Jesus before the high priest and the council uh, of, of priests there. And, um, and so we see this pattern. Judas, Jesus forging the new covenant. Peter, Jesus forging the new covenant. Judas, Jesus forging back and forth in this passion narrative between Judas and Jesus. Because all of us can find ourselves, uh, if not in betrayal, a handing over of Jesus, certainly in denial. And we find ourselves, I mean, they're both, in a sense, treacherous. Uh, with Peter, we might find a way to justify, at least in his own mind, if not his, his behavior. Um, or we may not justify it, but we can see where he was coming from. See what he thought. We can follow maybe the pattern. But in, in fact, as we're going to see today, that, that Judas, Judas had, a, had a crisis of conscience as well. He did. Uh, I'm not defending Judas. I'm not one of those that tries to make out that Judas is really a great guy. He was just doing what God, you know, like, I, I think that Judas uh, was destined to be the betrayer. But, um, but that's the, we see the pattern back and forth between those three. And we see the end of it here in, what, in the passage that we have today. We, um, uh, from, from Peter's denial... Which we, was the end of last week's passage. We see briefly Jesus being taken to taken to Pilate, right? And so uh, then we go back to Judas and see his suicide. So uh, as Jesus Jesus is, uh, as Jesus is moving towards the cross, he is increasingly isolated because he has to be the singular sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. So the ultimate. Isolation is from God the Father, right? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We'll see that next week. But um, I would suggest that once he is out of the sight of the disciples, he's been carried off, and out, uh, and then he's condemned by and out of the hands of the Jews when he's given into Pilate, uh, the secular governor, uh, to be scourged and to be swapped for a criminal, which we're going to see Barabbas today. Uh, that isolation, at least in an earthly sense, is complete. Um, so, Jesus is delivered to Pilate. When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus and, uh, to put him to death. 
And they bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate, uh, the governor. Now Jesus had been uh, before the council very late that night, and, they, and I guess they decided to get a few hours sleep. And at St. Peter Galicantu, which is uh, the the church where all of this over where all this took place, you can actually see the cell where they kept Jesus. And it is this cylinder that is cut out of the rock. Now now they have a, a they've cut a stairwell into the rock and you can go down. But as far as I can tell, you're touching the rock that Jesus was on. And what it looked like then, they didn't have a stairwell. They had just, it was this cylinder, and they just had a hole in the, in the top. And they strapped him up with leather straps and lowered him down. And then picked him up the next morning. And I don't remember, I was trying to think, it was probably Psalm 22 that we read. But we, we all went down there when we were on pilgrimage, and we went down in that cylinder. And we all gathered in, and it's kind of, I mean, of course there's a light, but it's, it's dark and... Um, and you're on this rock where Jesus was sleeping or, or praying the night and the morning before he was crucified. And I think we read the psalm, and I think it was Psalm 22, but I don't remember for sure. That, that number doesn't sound right, but it seems thematically like that would have been the right theme. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, right, right there. And it was, it was incredibly moving. Uh, to be in that space and to think of Jesus willfully there in that morning they're lowering the straps down to him through the hole and he has to be hoisted up he, he has to put the straps around him himself you know like in order to get who up, who's down there who didn't want the straps and just decided to die down I mean I don't know it was awful and incredibly moving to be in that place. Um, but it's morning now, and they've decided this is what they're going to do. They're going to they're going to condemn him to death. And but since the sat is Friday morning, and that evening means Sabbath, they've got to get this done quick. And the one who can do it the quick, it, the quickest is is Pilate, the Roman governor. So. So that's he, he he's given to he's gonna he's carted off to Pilate. He's forging the new covenant, right? He's carted, his, his isolation is complete in an earthly sense. Back to Judas. Then when Judas, where am I? I'm reading from the Bible. Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind. It's too late, pal. Yeah. <laughs> He changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders saying, I've sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed and he went and hanged himself. <coughs> I mean, just think of the despair. I, I, some of you have been very close to suicide. Um, I don't mean personally, maybe personally, but but if you in your family or in your circle of friends, and it's so awful to be close 
to that sort of despair. Um, to, to think that someone absolutely does not see any better way. It may have been in that culture, I mean, I can conceive that it was a, a matter of honor. Having no, they were going to kill Jesus and he, there was no way out for him, so he had to die. He felt that as a matter of honor, he had to die too. But he hanged himself. And it's just kind of a dark, this is one of those R-rated moments in the, in, the, in the Bible. Like it's just this dark, like, what do I, what do, I do with this? You can't cheer. It's just sad. It's so sad. The chief priest, taking the pieces of silver, said, it's not law, they're real concerned about law, so um, it's not lawful uh, to them to, is to put them into the treasury since it's blood money, so they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. And therefore that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Now that's, of course, Matthew's day. Um, and they, when he wrote it. And they took 30 pieces of silver, the price of him on whom uh, had been set by some of the sons of Israel. That was, I, I think I sorry, to this day. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, saying, And they took thirty pieces of silver, the price of him on whom a price had been set by some of the sons of Israel, and they gave them for the potter's field, as the Lord directed me. Now, Judas had handed over Jesus because he was fed up. At least as far as I can tell, he could not see how Jesus was leading anyone to the liberation of Israel. Right? This is, but now, Judas sees that betrayal makes him guilty. And that Jesus, even if Jesus was a fraud, that, that he hadn't done anything to deserve what he's getting now. And so he tries to undo it. And he's met with indifference by the people who should care the most. And they're like, well, it's not lawful. It's just so bizarre how the human heart can justify itself from one end and turn right around and be legalistic uh, on the other. I mean, it's just, it's, it, you really see in these, in these priests, you see some real insight into humanity. We're all capable of it. We're all blind to it. They didn't see the problem. Well, they just wanted to get rid of Jesus. They were expedient. You and I are, are often expedient as, as well. Um, the passage from Jeremiah, and I'm sorry, I did not have a chance to research this, but it's actually Zechariah. Isn't that weird? And I don't know if Jeremiah was sort of shorthand for the prophets or or if he just, Matthew just got it wrong, but it's Zechariah 11. And, um, and we've actually talked about that passage before, and it's uh, not the passage where he says, I'm striking the sheep, and the, uh, striking the shepherd, and the sheep will scatter. That's 13 in Zechariah. But, but in Zechariah 11, Zechariah is playing a prophetic role. He's playing, the, um, he's playing a shepherd. Uh, as a prophetic act, and his sheep are taken from him so that they can be sold. And he has two staffs, and you can see the, the sheep are the people of Israel, and they're being sold, right, uh, basically into, into the hands of, of um, the enemies. And, and so he has 
two staffs, Zechariah does, and one is called favor, and one is called um, union, or unity. And Zechariah breaks both of them, breaks favor, breaks unity. It's, real, it's, a, it's a prophetic act, sort of a, like a parable in, in, in real life. And the shepherd for his sheep receives 30 pieces of silver, but he throws them, seems like, at least in my translation, to the potter. I'm not really sure what, what that was. It doesn't talk about a field, at least in my translation. So, fulfillment, we often think of like a prophecy as, you know, some, a prophet saying, here's what's going to happen, and then when the time comes, it happens. Like he said it. He predicted it. But a lot of times in Scripture, fulfillment is much more like, he, this, this is so much like what they said. And it's not, it's not that Zechariah envisioned that this was going to be messianic. He was talking about uh, like the Syrians. I, I, I wish I had more time to go really uh, in-depth in that study and figure out exactly what Zechariah was talking about. But it's, a, it's a obvious a prophetic act, and, and Israel is against his, its enemies, and the favor in the, of God and the unity of the people is broken. And, um, and there's a price of 30 pieces of silver. And I think Matthew should say, like he often does, remember if you, if you were with us a year and a half ago when we started, we saw lots and lots of uh, instances where Matthew said, this was to fill what the prophet said, and then he fills it in. And so... Right now, uh, I think Matthew is just saying, this instance with Judas is so reminiscent of that instance in, in the prophets. I think that's, that's what fulfillment means in this, in this case. Any, any thoughts, any, any questions or clarifications? Yeah, Jim. It seems that uh, prophecy in the Old Testament... Um, is cyclical and doesn't happen just once. It continues to happen throughout history right. as you go forward. So Jim said it's it's cyclical. I mean, and so a lot of times the prophets speak better than they knew. So it, they they spoke, they prophesied. It happened in their day, and then it happened again in Jesus' day. And um, and and so there's also I mean, like there's people who say Revelation isn't about the end times. The Revelation is about the the Roman Empire and, and the crashing down of this this um, this mo- this uh, monop- monopoly right this empire and and the rising up of the church well it's true that's what happened and it will happen, it will happen again you know so there's this there is you're right there's, I'll, I thank you for bringing that up so um, so that's really that's really interesting. Will it happen just like that, or will it be like wow, that's so much like that? I think it's gonna be more like the second. That that is because Revelation, we don't really know exactly you know how, how that's gonna go. But but that's right. I mean it, it is uh, to say that it was fulfilled in Jesus is not to say that it wasn't fulfilled in, in Zechariah's day or shortly after. Thank you. That's a helpful point. I don't have a lot. To say, other than just it's it's what is on display in this darkest moment, right before the Son of God dies on the cross, is that one of his closest men feels so terrible 
that he kills himself. The betrayer. And it's not something to be clapped about, right? People will ask, have asked me, well, is Judas going to be in heaven? Because he just, he just fulfilled his role. Like, I mean, God appointed him to be the betrayer for our sins. Is he going to be in heaven? I don't know. I'm worried about me getting to heaven. So, um, I don't know. Don't ever, don't ever presume that someone has been kicked out of heaven. That's a that's a dangerous place for us to be. But it is, um, it is always true that God is more gracious than we can imagine. Yes, Josh. So I was going to say, I presume that Judas was baptized. You know, were the disciples baptized? I mean, I guess that they got baptized by by John, and they were baptizing maybe each other. Even I don't, I don't know. I, but you participated in the Last Supper. Yeah, sacramentally. Right, and it seems to be. I mean, you can easily infer from this at least that he was repentant. Repentant. <laughs> yes, thank you. I mean, yes, yeah. In the Gospel of John, seems to me that when they're in the upper room and Jesus appears the second time, he breathes upon them the Holy Spirit, and that's their baptism. Well, yes, I mean, I think I think so. But, Jesus but then, wouldn't have been there. but yeah, no, Judas wasn't there. So I mean, I think that's what Richard's saying. So. <coughs> I mean, I, I, I don't know if they were baptized at another time. Yeah. But what took place in the upper room... Is that the was the whole, Holy Spirit. The whole Gildersphere about apostolic succession. Right. But these people were specially called by the Holy Spirit and Jesus. That's where they became apostles, yeah. Where were they saved for eternal salvation? And I would say... That's between them and the Lord, you know. Like, I mean, I'm, yeah. So, anyway, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting thing to debate. Ultimately, where we have to land is the grace of God, uh, and and we leave that we leave that to Him. Like Jesus does say, "Woe unto him!" It must go as it, as it has been spoken, but woe unto him through whom it comes. So, I I, I don't have what I what I'm really trying to say to you is I don't. If you're asking that question, I don't have an answer. That's what I'm trying to say. So, we go from Judas uh, back to Jesus. And, um, let's see, where am I here? Now, so verse 11, right? Yeah. Jesus. Now, Jesus stood before the governor. And the governor, this is Pontius Pilate, asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? That's a really good question. Because that's, that's why he's there. Right? That's... Uh, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, you have said so. He said that to, uh, to Judas when uh, Ju Judas said, it's not me, is it, Lord, at the Last Supper? And he said it to the chief priests when they said, are, tell us, are you, the, are you the Messiah? You have said so. And here he says it again three times. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. And then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? 
But he gave him no answer, not even a sing- to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Now John, in his gospel, he had, they got a long conversation. Matthew's not concerned with that. What Matthew is concerned with is, you have said so. You know, do you remember what that means? Yes, but I don't mean the same thing you mean. Are you the king of Jews? Yeah, I am. But what you have in your mind about what that means and what I mean when I say I'm the king of the Jews, those are two different things. That's what Jesus is, is saying, I think. So, what did Pilate mean? Are you the king of the Jews? David returned. David returned. David returned, perhaps. What else? Are you in opposition to me personally? Are you in opposition to me me personally? There, that's right, because he had authority. Good. Which is to say, what I have written down is: Are you stay? Are you here to stage a coup? Right. Like that's a problem. Yeah. Politically, militarily, are you here to stage a coup? What did Jesus mean? He was there to die. He was there to die, but he was there to liberate Israel, but from the greatest enemy, not the Romans, from sin and death. Right? A different kingdom. A different kingdom. Say more about that. Just not the kingdom that they can see. That's right. The kingdom that is, is and is to come. That, that's right. That's what, in, in John, he says, my kingdom is, is not of this world. And Pilate says, oh, so you are a king. <laughs> Gotcha! No? Pilate's never seen anything like this. And he is greatly amazed. I think that's remarkable. Matthew's point here is that Jesus stayed silent. Remember, John has this longer narrative. This is where Pilate says, what is truth? I love that. I I use that on Good Friday a lot of times. Um, And... But Matthew's point is that Jesus stays silent. He's not here to defend himself. He is here to die, like Jim said. He is here to die for your sin and my sin. And why in the world? From Pilate's perspective, why in the world would he not adamantly defend himself? To get out of this. Doesn't he know what's coming? Yeah, he does. That's why he's here. It's amazing. Alright, so now we come to Barabbas. And I have to tell you, I love this. I love it. In fact, I love it so much, I want one of y'all to read it. (laughs) Who would read it for us? This uh, next paragraph... Thanks. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who was called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat... His wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. 
Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said, Let him be crucified. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Let him be crucified. So if we were following the pattern, Peter, Jesus, Judas, Jesus, we'd be back to Peter. But we don't have Peter now. We get Barabbas. What do you make of Barabbas? Barabbas was a bad guy. I mean, he was really bad. He was a Jeffrey Dahmer. Yeah, right. But he was also very lucky. Okay. He was a really bad guy. I don't think you ever hear that Barabbas was particularly repentant or that he was particularly grateful for being spared either. We never hear that. I've preached it that way. Oh. But I've never, it doesn't say that. And I'll tell you why in just a minute. Go ahead, Josh. The, the Jews were notorious for giving Romans trouble. And the Romans are notorious for having lots of prisoners. Why is it a, a B choice? Why is it just these two guys? We're, you know, I don't know. I don't know why. Like, surely there's a lot of other prisoners. Right. You know, there's some, some kid who sold a loaf of bread to feed his little sister. Right. Why, why not that guy? Why is it these two? Why, is it, why they narrow it down to that crazy story? Well, I, in one sense, from a theological perspective, we can say it's the worst of the worst or the best of the best. Right? But there's another sense, like we look at the other Gospels, there's a, there, you, can, you can create the narrative in which Barabbas was actually a freedom fighter, a zealot, who had killed a Roman uh, soldier on behalf of the Jews, sort of, sort of a would-be Messiah himself. And, um, and that his crime, he was an insurrectionist, not just a, not just a robber. You know, he was not just a, not just a bad guy, but he, had, he was a bad guy with purpose. So you know, a choice two insurrectionists. Two insurrectionists, essentially. And what, does anybody know what the name Barabbas means? Son of the Father. <laughs> Son of the Father. Bar Abba. He will call him Abba. Abba. Bar Abba. Now, I will wax poetic just a little minute here, but I imagine Barabbas sitting in his jail cell. And he hears through the stone the muffled crowds getting whipped up. He can just barely hear him through the, through the stone in his, uh, in his jail cell. And he, all he hears is crucify him. Crucify him. And he's sweating. Barabbas is sweating because today's the day. And he knows it. He thought that what he did was righteous. But he killed that Roman soldier and the skies were silent. And here he is now. Paying for the consequences of what he thought was the right thing at the time. In fact, the crowds had cheered when it had happened, 
And God has been silent. And the guards show up in Barabbas' cell. And they hate Barabbas. He killed one of their brothers. And they grab him up gruffly and they slap on the cuffs. And they, and they push him out into the hallway. Slams his face against the wall. And as he's going down the hallway, louder and louder, he hears the mob. Crucify him. Crucify him. And he comes out into the sunlight. And he is time to, it's going to be time to pay. Because he knows what comes, not, not just crucifixion, he knows what comes before crucifixion, which is the scourging. And across the courtyard, he sees another man who's already, in, who's already bound. And this man is bloodied with a crown of thorns on his head. And Barabbas locks eyes with the man. And then before Barabbas knows what's happening, they take the man away with his cross, with Barabbas' cross, and the guard takes off his, his, his wraps and says, you, you're free, you jerk. <laughs> Jesus dies in his place. That is substitutionary atonement. The righteous for the unrighteous. And Barabbas' story is your story and my story. And it's actually that the son, the true son of the father died so that we could all become sons of the father. Sons and daughters, of course. Barabbas is the gospel. That we are set free because Jesus took our cross upon himself. And it is... It's, it's, I mean, it's just, it is, the, it is the gospel. And I don't know how to say it. I'm kind of left without words other than that. And, and if you watch Mel Gibson's Passion, it's not really portrayed that way. Uh, Barabbas is, is, is sort of a crazy man, you know, like he, and he's playing it up to the crowd. I don't know. There's no way to know. It's just how I imagine it. That Barabbas was actually changed. And that's why we are given his name because Matthew's audience would have recognized the name because he was in the he was in the church. Because he was the one that should have died on the cross and Jesus took his place. And he was this illustration for all of us. But wasn't that God's plan all along? Wasn't that God's plan? I mean, listen, I, the Romans, it's not like they ha- didn't have but three crosses and they just had to put, I mean, they could have found another one, you know? But, um, but like, it, it just, and it, it, we, we like symmetry. I mean, I think that, um, I, I think, I, I, right, yeah, I think, yeah, it's not going to sell good at Lifeway if we got four, like, it's got to be three. Um, now, I think that, um, I, you know, to say that isn't that what God wanted? I don't know anything about why that tradition was in place. Was uh, you know, 
I don't. I, we're not told why they picked Barabbas, except for maybe it's, it's the two freedom fighters, the two straight. Which one? Pilate is kind of being a peacemonger. He he's he's trying to just appease his constituency, and Jesus suffers for it. But that's what he came for. And so, yes, I think it was the will of God. Joe? Yes, ma'am. Don't you think it's possible that the, uh, the, the pilot knew that Barabbas was so bad that he thought that that would save Jesus? But, you know, offering up Barabbas, they hated him so much that they... Yeah, Very he, possible. He didn't think Jesus had done anything. Uh, and that is entirely plausible. That like it was it was basically saying, okay, we've got we've got this guy who healed all your people, right. and we've got this guy this murderer. So you pick. I mean, it's like it very plausible scenario. Or Paul was like, I'm just going to get him tomorrow. You know, like like we'll get through the Sabbath and we're going to nab him again. So no big deal. Um, I, I don't know. <laughs> You know, I'm I'm sorry, that's cynical. You know, um, that's where I am right now. But the, um, the what's that? They're Romans and it's Pilate. It's plausible. Very plausible. I mean, listen. I mean, the, what we know about uh, Pilate was that he was brutal. He was what? He brutal. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't Pilate in terms of uh, being in in Israel to begin with. He was already, wasn't he already up the creek with the Romans as it was? He wouldn't have, that was a, a terrible assignment. And I think I've heard that he was actually there because he had made people in Rome mad to start with. That was not an assignment, was not a plump job. Yeah. That was a bad job. Well, it's, it does seem got, like a bad job. I don't, I don't, um, I don't know. Uh, about the history, I mean, well, very that's possible. That's kind of what I've heard. Yeah. That of course he gets these unruly Jews, and they are trying to keep them down, and he's already in trouble, and they have to do whatever he can do. Yep. To keep this riot from happening. Yep. And so, he's got to make his wife happy too. I mean, no, she just she's got well, he having dreams. To his wife he like should have. <laughs> he should, but if he had, we wouldn't be here today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're preaching now. All right. Um, uh, so every every week we say the Nicene Creed and we say the name Pontius Pilate. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. Why do we do that? I mean, why? I mean, really, why give him that kind of notoriety in the church for two thousand years and presumably two thousand more? I mean, unless Jesus comes back. Why? Do we say that? To root it in history. This is, this is not a fairy tale. It, it happened. It happened for your real actual life. And so we root it in history by saying he suffered under the actual governor of Judea. Now interestingly, and I just learned this when we were over there, that the, the capital, Jerusalem wasn't the capital, that it was actually um, Caesarea by the sea. But he was in town because of the crowd, because it was Passover, because everything. He was there to keep the peace, and that was, this was the number one problem. And so he was keeping the peace. Yeah.
So that was I found that in just just a sort of nugget of, of history it was interesting. The rabbis is the gospel. I just I love it. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And the people answered, His blood be on us and our children. And then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. So, Again, in the Passion, uh, Mel, Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ, the scourging is, is what made it R-rated. I mean, it's three words here. It's so awfully violent. And they were asked, like, it, the Bible hardly even talks about it. Why did you make that such a, a vivid, terrible part of this movie? And he said, because that's the way it happened. This cat of nine tails, leather straps, nine leather straps with metal and, and uh, glass and, and stone, bone, uh, just you know. And, and I remember Gibson said to the actor who was the who was the um, uh, was the guard. He said, "You throw it like a baseball." And the very first. The very first scene, the, the actor, the guard missed, and he actually hit uh, Jim Caviezel, uh, the actor playing Jesus. And so the this agony and the surprise on his face is actual. It's real. It's, I hadn't seen it in a few years, but I'm, I'm, I want to watch it again this year. Um, the, uh, the, the thing to understand about the scourging is that it's all part of the passion process. It's all part of the suffering. That it wasn't just the cross. The cross is sort of shorthand for the whole, for the isolation, the wrongful condemning, the substitutionary atonement, the, the beating within an inch of his life. And in fact, they had to scourge him because it was the Passover and it was the, um, the Sabbath and they, were going, they, had to, they needed him to die. They might hang on the cross for two or three days dying. And so they needed him to die quickly, so they scourged him. Uh, and, and so that was a t- just a terrible um, punishment. That's what he su- suffered for, for all of us and delivered him to be crucified. And that's what we're going to talk about next week. We'll talk about uh, mocked and crucified. And then the next week will be dead and buried. And then the next week will be Palm Sunday. We'll talk about resurrection. It's a little strange to talk about resurrection on Palm Sunday. That's where we line up. And then the Sunday after Easter is Great Commission. And then we'll be done with Matthew. <laughs> so um, it's, we can see the horizon. Uh, but it is just, it's just so wonderful. It's life-giving to me. I know I told you before, I, I live in Lent. And, um, and this is why Good Friday's good. Because it's for you and me. And so that we might be reconciled. And to think, to really meditate on what Jesus went through and the, the whole su- isolation, substitution, to really sort of sit with that for a few minutes. For me anyway, I hope it is for you, but for me it's very powerful. We're a few minutes early, so do you have any, um, yeah, surprise, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> so verse 25, we just read. Yes. And the people answered, is blood be on us and our children? It's kind of double meaning there, right? Because... 
we in communion in the Eucharist, we drink his blood, we're washed by his blood, we're saved by his blood. So we want to be saving. But then also they're saving in the sense of the consequences of this. They're saying we're glad before God to be killing this blasphemer. That's what they're saying. And yes, his blood on them is their only hope. Yeah. We're covered in the blood of Jesus. Yes, absolutely. I think, I think Matthew means it. Thank you for bringing that up. And there's this also sense which Pilate, washing his hands of, of, this, of the man's blood or whatever, is making this public statement, is in fact a total lack of leadership and, and just a sort of a rolling over. And, I mean, it's easy for me to say, but it does seem this, like, like it's, he's just trying to keep the peace. And... I don't think this should happen, but if y'all, if you, my subjects, want to run the law, then you can. Like that doesn't make any sense to me, but thank God it did. What else? They let the crazies run the asylum. <laughs> That's it. Hey, let's pray. Thank you, God this passage. Thank you for Barabbas and how he illustrates all of us that we who deserve death before you are given freedom and that you took that death upon yourself. We ask God that you would just hold that truth so close to our hearts in this Lenten season and help us to learn to love you more and more each day because of it. In Jesus' name, Amen. amen. See you in church. Bye, Katie. Bye.